Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. The Borg are an amalgam of cybernetically enhanced humanoid drones of multiple species. Organized as an interconnected collective with a hive mind inhabiting a vast region of space. They operate towards one single-minded purpose. To add the biological and technological distinctiveness of other species to their own in the pursuit of perfection. They are the adversary of autonomy. The definition of slavery. They are the juggernauts of an infinite number of quadrants and parallel dimensions, including the mirror universe. The mirror universe has never been so treacherous. Hi there, welcome to The Ready Room, the Treks in Sci-Fi microcast. I'm Rick, and I play, well right now in the in the alternate universe, I play the evil Dr. Margon. <laughs> and I'm Jen, and I play Commander Savril. And this is Kenny, and I play the captain, Nathan Quinn. On today's podcast, we plan on doing uh, the story so far, which we have about six new posts for the story so far, then we'll analyze it, and then we'll have our final thoughts. We are the Borg. Life as you know it is over. You have entered our RPG space. You will adapt to the story so far. For our first post, we have a joint post written by Jen and Rico, and it will be read by Jen. Outside the ready room, the staff manning the bridge traded glances. They had learned much from the tense exchange moments ago with the cooperative. The Queen had referred to Mistress Savril as servant of the cooperative, and then, almost mockingly, as Empress. Did the Vulcan woman murder the Emperor and take the throne? Was Admiral Talbot involved in some way? The tactical officer pitched his gaze to the soldier manning the station nearby. They could not permit an alien to rule the Terran Empire. The ops officer observed the unspoken exchange between the men at Tactical and met the gaze of the officer sitting at the con, as long as his name wasn't on the Queen's list, yielding a handful of people to the cooperative in order to survive as a whole was an adequate solution to their current dilemma in the ops officer's opinion. The soldier positioned at the con turned his eyes from the man at ops back to his terminal. Unlike the tactical officers, he was not opposed to a non-Terran emperor. His parental grandfather, a Vulcan, had raised him on stories of Spock's reformation. It had been many years since a Vulcan held power in the Empire, and the con officer hoped that the next ruler would revisit Spock's changes and make them permanent. Perhaps the two individuals debating their futures in the captain's room would bring about that reformation the con and ops officers, would support the new emperor, if for no other reason but the prospect of societal progress. 
in the ready room. Savril spoke to the Admiral with the dignity she lacked the last time they met face to face. You withheld important details from me during our little telepathic exchange, said Talbot. I said I would support you, but I do not know that I can trust you completely. He took a pull of Romulan ale from a mug and offered it to Savril. She wanted to refuse, but accepted the container and cautiously sniffed the alcoholic beverage. A brow arched in alarm at the potent smell, and against her better judgment, she took a small experimental sip. It had a disgusting flavor, but the last thing she wanted to do was offend the man who held her fate. She subdued the look of revulsion and swallowed the horrible drink that rested on her tongue. It burned her throat before settling at the bottom of her queasy stomach. Savril felt like gagging, but managed to confine the reflex to a cough and handed the metal cup back to the Emperor. Amused by her willful nature, he shrugged and crossed his arms. The lanky Romulan was sitting on the edge of his desk with his ankles crossed and stretched before him. He leveled a stern look on Savril as she lowered herself into a chair and met his gaze. You question my honesty. I do not blame you. But let me assure you, Admiral, that I do not desire power, nor do I wish the Empire destroyed. My only aim was to obtain retribution for the crimes the Emperor committed against me. I used the cooperative to reach this goal, and Arya used me to achieve her own. I did not expect to live long enough to suffer for her triumphs. My plan was to end my life shortly after I ended David's, but as you know, I would not die alone. I was not pregnant when I made the decision to enter this agreement with a cooperative. My condition has changed my perspective, and I will fight to guarantee a future for my children, rather than surrender them to death or the cooperative. She leaned back in her chair warily, as she continued. I was recruited as an agent two years after the Emperor acquired me. It was the cooperative queen, Arya, who informed me of the conspiracy that killed my husband and bound me to the Emperor. After learning this, I cared for nothing but vengeance. Arya took advantage of that vulnerability by offering me justice in exchange for information. I accepted her proposition, and over the years I provided her with intel that I gathered from the debriefings that David foolishly included me in. Talbot smirked as he recalled the last time he and Savril met. The Admiral had been concerned by her presence in his debriefing with the Emperor, but David insisted that she remain. Savril noticed Talbot's grin. If he had taken your suggestion, Admiral, he would be ruling his empire rather than charging in his newly assigned alcove. His grin shrank slightly as he envisioned the drone who was once David Locke. It was an appropriate fate for the cold-hearted Terran, but the thought of her decisive actions still sent a chill down his spine. Savril picked up on his discomfort, stood, and walked to the viewport to gaze out at the cooperative ship. Arya's need for information soon transitioned to more demanding assignments. My latest mission was to obtain the Tiberius Shield Modulation Codes. I'm sure you can imagine why the Queen would want them. I attempted to gain those codes, but after I disposed of the Emperor, I tasted freedom. I do not wish to exchange one master for another. The Cooperative would offer my children and I nothing but the promise of further servitude. In exchange for refuge and freedom, Admiral. I offer you the Empire. You would make a fitting Emperor. She uttered smoothly as she turned to face Talbot. He tilted his head slightly in reaction to her proposal. 
You must have sensed the distrust and uncertainty on the bridge when we left. I'm not nearly the telepath you are, but I did notice several glances that made me uneasy. You don't get to my position in the fleet without watching for such movements. If we're not careful, we will have a mutiny on our hands. We have that to worry about, plus the cooperative and the alliance. Our current situation will make survival very difficult to say the least, Talbot said as he took another long drink of ale. He welcomed the burn of the blue liquid as it slid down his throat. Yes, I sense the tension you mentioned, but they would fall in line eventually, she said. He straightened. I have no desire to rule the Empire, Savril. I prefer to be less of a target. I propose a partnership between the two of us, for the time being. I'll announce to the crew that the Emperor is dead. I will inform the Imperial Council as well. Let them name their new leader. We need to deal with the immediate threat, Talbot said as he handed a pad to Savril. Here's the list of names from the cooperative. How do you propose we handle this? Savril studied the Admiral's chiseled face as he spoke. The best rulers were those who did not want the responsibility, like Tevian. Talbot was a respectable man, and she admired his rejection of power. She took the personal access display device that he offered and scanned the information. Savril did not wish to turn anyone over to the cooperative, especially the name at the top of the list, Reese Peters. She stifled a grimace and continued to scan the names as she paced before Talbot. Below Reese was the name Nathan Quinn, the telepath Savril recently brushed minds with. Quinn had claimed that he was not from this dimension, and that he knew Savril. He had asked for her help. She did not owe him anything, but something inside her disliked the thought of betraying his confidence in her. Of all the individuals the cooperative demanded, Quinn was the one addition that Arya stood to benefit the most from, for he was an extremely powerful telepath. The Vulcan stopped her pacing and glanced up at Talbot. We cannot afford to grant her these individuals. But I see no other option. Arya will simply take what we refuse to freely give. Savril narrowed her eyes in thought, and grew silent a moment. What of the Alliance fleet? Is there something we can exchange for their support? I was contacted by Admiral Karak a short time ago. He seemed eager to aid us. I know that the Regent is on our brig. Perhaps if we returned Worf to his people, we could gain honor in the Klingon's eyes. I think we could use all the allies we could get at this point. Karak and I got off on the wrong foot, but I'm sure I could persuade him to listen. What do you think? Talbot said as he raised an eyebrow at Savril. She failed to quell a slight smile that surfaced in reaction to the Admiral's very Vulcan gesture. The smile vanished as quickly as it had appeared. I think you should explore that option, Admiral. Let's hope that it is the solution to one of many of our problems. She paused a moment and regarded him in silence. She would not venture to probe his thoughts. This was a question that required a verbal answer. Admiral, am I to assume that this partnership you propose means that you are granting me refuge? Of course. I know what you've done and I understand your reasoning. We all have our ghosts. You are under the protection of the Tiberius and have my word that you will not be harmed while you remain aboard my ship. In the meantime, I will assign my personal guard to watch over you for there will no doubt be attempts on your life in effort to avenge the Emperor. You and your children deserve a better future. We will make one for them together by our actions today, he said as he extended a hand in friendship to her. As Savril moved to take the Admiral's hand, her stress was momentarily lifted, 
and an overwhelming relief washed over her. She shook his hand once, then stepped close to the man she had come to trust and respect, and hugged him in an innocent gesture of honest gratitude. For a brief moment, he was surprised by the atypical emotional display, but soon wrapped his arms around her when he felt the muted sobs. The next post is a joint post by Trekkie Geek and Star Trek Fanatic 5, and it's read by Star Trek Fanatic 5. It had taken what seemed like hours, but Reese had finally freed himself from his restraints. His captors had relaxed enough to leave him in the room alone, thinking he was more out of it than he actually was, and he had waited until he was sure he was alone before he struggled free. He had to get out of this cell and discover if Nathan Quinn was in fact alive. If he was, then he had to get him off this dreadful ship. Reese skillfully ran his fingers over the number pad at the side of the door. Within a few seconds, he had hacked the system and the door whooshed open. He didn't know the layout of the ship, but knew that Quinn would have tucked himself into an enclosed space somewhere. Reese figured he would start where Quinn was last said to be held, Margon's lab. As he reached the corridor, there were security teams all over the place, as well as cleanup crews mopping up the mess that was Margon's lab. Reese noticed the Jeffrey's tube hatch, just left of the main doors, and knew if he was Quinn and needed a quick place to hide, that this would be ideal. Peters casually walked over to the Jeffrey's tube entrance, and when the security team had their backs turned, he quickly opened and entered the tube. He crawled on his hands and knees for a few meters, when he noticed a body slumped against the bulkhead just ahead. Reese sat up and pulled the unconscious man's head into his lap and looked down at his old friend. Oh my god, it is you, Nathan. Peters bent down and kissed Nathan on the forehead and said, I must get you to safety and off this ship. Nathan stirred and opened his eyes slowly, looking at the man whose lap he was in. Reese, he said quietly, how can this be? Shh, don't speak. I need to figure out where we can hide. Reese said as he propped Quinn up against the bulkhead. Nathan sat there confused, staring at a friend that he had lost so many years ago. The following post was written by Wraith1701 and Just X and is read by Jen. Arya stood in the center of her protected command center and observed the status of the battle. Her people had yet to fire a shot on the non-Borg, but the humans had exceeded their time limit. It was time to make an example. Transport the probe through the rift and hail the commander of the Alliance fleet, Arya commanded, and waited for a response. Her people had already acquired significant Klingon and Cardassian genetics, and thus far, they had no real need for additional subjects. But the Alliance could be useful in this instance. Even as she waited for contact, she extended her mind outwards towards her target on the Tiberius. While she searched for Quinn, she informed her ship to bring weapons lock on the Imperial vessels and prepare for battle. Meanwhile, on the bridge of the Nagvar, Admiral Karak stared mutedly at the viewscreen. He was irked by the newcomer's demand that all combatants stand down, but his desire to lash out was quelled by the ease with which the cooperative had neutralized the other Borg ships. It appears as though they have us outgunned, he thought. At least for now. A warrior at a nearby terminal turned to address Captain Kilara. I am detecting heavy calm traffic between the Cooperative and the Terrans, he said. Could they be plotting against us? Good question, the captain replied. Turning to face Karak, she asked, Should we fire on all vessels, Admiral? The Admiral shook his head. Not yet, Captain. 
patience is one of the most valuable tools in a hunter's arsenal. I think now is a fine time for us to use it. At the communication station, a clearly agitated warrior turned to once more address Kilara. Captain, we are being held by the cooperative ship. Both Karak and Kilara answered simultaneously. On screen! As the striking image of what Karak assumed to be a young woman of Vulcanoid ancestry appeared on the monitor, he returned to the center of the dimly lit bridge. After taking the seat at Kilara's side, Karak glared at the comm officer. Mute audio until further notice, and contact the Ninth Fleet. I want all ships to rendezvous with us here as quickly as possible. Leaning back in his chair, Karak slowly stroked his beard. Let's see how these cyborgs react to a little Thaleron radiation, he thought with a grin. The Admiral squared his shoulders and locked eyes with the image on the view screen. Activate audio, he rumbled. After the communications officer signaled that the channel was opened, Karak leaned forward aggressively. I am Admiral Karak of the Klingon Cardassian Alliance, he growled. What do you want? To save innocent lives, Admiral. Arya said and offered a polite smile. The cooperative is not here to do battle with either you or your enemies. We wish to avoid unnecessary bloodshed and would hate to devolve into pointless and futile combat. Arya quietly observed the Klingon in command of the fleet before she continued. As you can see, we have only engaged our wayward cousins in combat and would like to keep it that way. What is your purpose in this system, Admiral, and how long before you withdraw? We would hate to see your fleet suffer damage as we exterminate our cousins. I am prepared to sterilize the system to achieve that goal. In truth, she did not care what his purpose was. Unlike her bored cousins, she did not rely on a single vessel to enforce her might. She brought decisive firepower with her. Gunboat diplomacy was, after all, one of her favorite tools. Karak glanced at a nearby tactical display. The remainder of his fleet, including the vessels armed with Thaleron generators, would be arriving at any moment. I have to stall for time, he thought. Karak's first instinct was to answer the cooperative with a roar of defiance and abrasive torpedoes. But as the ancient Klingon gambling saying went, one had to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. He stood, visibly trembling with an effort to appear calm and non-threatening. Forgive me, but that doesn't sound like the Borg I know. Since when were you appointed the galaxy's shepherds? Apparently, you are not as informed as your title would dictate, Arya said while maintaining her almost innocent smile. We are not the monsters that our cousins are. We have better means of pursuing perfection. We became the shepherds of the galaxy when others proved incompetent to do so. You are not our enemy unless you choose to be. We are here to destroy the Collective and those that plot against us. We invite you to fight beside us and ask that you not fight against us. Today is not a good day to die, Admiral. Karak chuckled at the woman's use of words. <laughs> Your so-called cousins are a scourge, fit only to be wiped out. If your aim is to destroy them, I'd be glad to assist you. But bear in mind, the Alliance bows to no one. An unsanctioned activity in our space will be met with deadly force. Karak dropped back into the chair to Kalara's left and offered Arya a cold smile. 
Every man, woman, and child of the Alliance would fight to the death before tolerating a threat to our sovereignty. A quiet beep issued from Kilara's armrest. Karak turned to meet her vicious grin. The fleet has arrived, Admiral, she said. They await your orders. Karak turned an eye to Arya's image on the viewscreen. It seems we have a truce at the moment. Our new allies aren't like the Borg. Target only the Borg ships I indicate, and send them all to Grethor! Karak turned to the comm officer. Close the channel! Arya's image winked out to be replaced by the starscape surrounding the Negvar. Space seemed to waver as a combined Klingon-Cardassian armada decloaked and rippled into view. As he watched the weapons ports of the nearest ship's iris open, Karak smiled. He had no reason to trust the cooperative. Once the remains of the original fleet were dealt with, he would have to reconsider just how long this so-called truce would last. Next up, we have a post written by Hawkeye Meds, also read by Hawkeye Meds. Dunn had lost Margon. The spray from several tubes had blocked their path, and when Dunner turned round, all he saw was a trail of blood heading in the other direction. Damn him. I wish I'd never helped him. The Calamal had me for this. He turned and headed for the brig. His way was obstructed by security officers all running in different directions. It's like caged rats, thought Dunn. It took him ten minutes to reach the brig. He stood straight and pulled his tunic down so he looked representable in front of his master. Walking towards the glass-frosted door, he was about to walk in as the glass shattered. The huge figure of the Klingon wharf passed him, and it crashed into the computer panel, causing it to burst into flames. <laughs> nice to see you again, Mr. Wharf. The Klingon ignored Dunn, and jumped straight up, howling with rage. He ran back into the brig, and Dunn peered round. The first thing he saw were bodies of the prisoners. He winced at the sight. What animal did this? he whispered. Looking up, he saw the animal in question. The Kalim was fighting Wolf. He had one eye, and the side of his face had near enough been caved in. Blood sprayed from a wound on his thigh, and it looked like a rib was poking from his black tunic. It was quite clear to Dunn that Wolf would win this fight. The Klingon had cuts and bruises, but he had the stamina. Wolf quite clearly hadn't been fighting with five other men. Dunn waited and enjoyed the scene as Wolf brought his clenched fist down onto the Kalim's neck. Oh, Mr. Wolf! Your attention, please. Wolf turned and growled at Dunn, but that was all he could do. It took no more than a second for Dunn to blast a Klingon in the chest with his phaser. Silence around the brig. This was new to the officer. There was nothing from the Kalan, and the Klingon lay still. Dunn laughed and bent down to the Kalan. I think I will make an excellent interrogator, don't you? The Emperor will be so pleased with me. Dunn stood back up and bellowed with laughter, only to be cut short by a knife which glided through his ankles. Screaming in pain, he fell like a sack of potatoes and glared in horror at the one open eye of Joseph de Carlin. The next post was written by Just X and read by Billy Bob. As the queen of the cooperative plotted her next move, she received word from her children harvesting the inhabited planet of the system. They had met little resistance, and the harvest progressed smoothly. She was more than pleased at their progress in the short window. 
Well, the normal method of the cooperative was to abduct a small test sample of a population and enhance her children to produce pheromones that inspired peace within a species. This time, she did not custom-tailor her children, but relied on their already enhanced abilities. Her agents on the surface offered cures to illnesses and the mending of the infirmed. In exchange for their aid, the cooperative would also take some of their number to the stars. Her agents were honest of their intent to the native people they visited. They would make the population better, and some would be chosen to travel with them to other worlds. Those that were selected to join the cooperative were first assimilated into the hearts and minds of her children. Their minds became awash in the harmony that comprised the cooperative. Doubt and fears were replaced with understanding and a sense of complete belonging. The aggression that thrived in the universe was replaced with a sense of divine purpose within the cooperative. Those outside the cooperative might see her actions as brainwashing her children, but she saw it as bringing clarity to those who had traveled in the darkness for far too long. It was rare for her people to resort to combat when harvesting a selected world, but was not unheard of. There were always those that would give their lives to resist inevitable change. She was happy that this was not one of those worlds. Life was important to the queen of the cooperative, and each death at the hand of her children was not forgotten. She knew that there were those that did not deserve the harmony she offered, and while it hurt her, they did not have a place in her harmony. From the moment that reality shifted around her, a part of her had been lost. In her haste to save herself, she had given her father her katra, and it was he that was lost to her. If the signal beyond the rift was true, then she might once again find her father and share her new purpose with him. She existed in the balance between life and death. The lives that she saved and the blood on her hands were her burden to carry. The universe she now called home was too flawed to continue without help. She was completely aware that innocent people might die in her quest, but it was a necessary evil. The needs of the many outweighed the needs of the few. She had a galaxy to save, and logic dictated that individual worlds could be lost in those efforts. Shivers rolled down her spine as new genetic material and perspective of a new culture flowed into the cooperative. The world they now harvested saw them as gods and fought for the right to be one of the two percent that the gods allowed to ascend into heaven. The old ties of her new children were replaced by the love of her and her new siblings. With a battle waging around her, she did not have time to savor the new genetic and cultural information that entered the cooperative. She would have time for that later. Other priorities required her focus, and her prize awaited her. And our last post today is written by Hawkeye Meds and read by Meds. His fingers glided over the smooth plastic. Looking up every now and again to the main viewscreen, his ears desperately searched for background conversation. He couldn't help but wonder what the Vulcan and the Admiral had planned. A flash on his panel broke his thoughts and he adjusted the sensors and the ship glided back onto its course. Turning, he caught the eye of the Chief Science Officer who acknowledged him with a single raised eyebrow. Turning back to his control panel, he locked onto the flight path and navigated the area around him and logged the reports. Suddenly, he had a sixth sense that someone was watching him. He couldn't turn around as he had to concentrate on a new set of coordinates that flashed under his fingers. Alright, so for the story so far this week, we really don't have much that happened uh, last week in uh, the post. We only, Like I said, only had six posts. Um, we have Talbot and Savril 
still discussing what they're going to do with the Empire since they are in charge technically, mm-hmm. and how are they going and how they're going to uh, react to the cooperative? Because right now I don't think they plan on handing over the people. Yeah, but no, they've made that decision. They, they really, but they don't have a choice. I mean, they have to come up with something else. They're gonna they're gonna try to align themselves with the Alliance. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're pursuing that. Yeah, because they have Worf, and they know the Alliance would probably like to have him back. So. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then what's done? Done is done, you know, because he's planning on taking Dakal in space. Or yes, position. he is. Yeah. Evil. Which Hawkeye is... Mesh just likes writing these really vicious, mean people. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised. I thought Dunn was kind of a cool guy, you know, because he, uh-huh. he was just scared of Dakalan. But he really is just as twisted and evil as Dakalan. He is. Everybody you is. Know? <laughs> yeah, everybody in that mere universe. Um, so, well, I and, noticed, uh, I noticed yeah. that Quinn and, and uh, Reese had a cool post. And, yes. Um, um, Reese has um, has uh, Quinn. He cares for Quinn, even though he doesn't really know Quinn. And like referring to last week's show, you know, they it's kind of cool. They're both dead well, in their own. Well, universe, but... Reese actually knows Quinn. Knows that not that Quinn, but he does know the Quinn. Right, the other, the other Quinn, Quinn. Right, that does. Yes, but he doesn't know that. He thinks this Quinn is his Quinn. Oh, okay. Well, no wonder he's being so nice to him. Okay, yes. Well, yeah. 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 Right, okay. yeah. 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 He knows. Okay. He doesn't know. Well, most people don't kiss their captain if they don't know. Him. <laughs> no, he knows. He, they know he, he. He thinks that's his Quinn. He thinks his Quinn is dead. So all of a sudden, he He's reappears back. alive. He's back. So he he has no idea that this is not his Quinn yet. He doesn't realize it's the alternate universe. Quinn. He he has no not a clue. He thinks it's his Quinn. Somehow, he didn't die when he thought he did months ago. Oh, act and now, and you get your alternate so. universe Quinn. <laughs> but that's does, not all. <laughs> And does Quinn know that – because I know Quinn knows now that he's in the mirror universe. Yeah. So he knows that Reese is not his Reese. Yes. Okay. He knows that. He's right. still surprised to see him because, I mean, he's dead in his own, you know, yeah, yeah. his own universe. But to see him alive and kicking is mm-hmm. – Well, you know kind of like – I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's kind of like um, Commander Sisko when he saw his wife. He knew he was in the Mary yes. universe, and that wasn't his real wife, but he was still stunned. You're still, yeah, you're still shocked to see someone that you dead, cared yeah. about who's yeah. dead now, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, you so know, that's that kind of thing. A cool happening. plot twist in this would be to have when Margaret uh, does show back up after his face has been uh, dermal regenerated or whatever, or melty face Margon, when he shows back up. It would be kind of cool to somehow reveal um, or or hook up some way and reveal that he knows um, that Quinn is not from this universe, and that might add an interesting layer to uh, Reese's yeah, yeah, relationship. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I'm not sure how we're going to reveal that to – because be I know Thoreau knows. Yeah, because he reached out to her in, in his mind. And I was, I was thinking about that as I was reading. Does Quinn still need to hide? That's a good well, question. Yeah. Well, we, no, because but, I'm like he was he was hiding from the emperor, the emperor, but Cyril killed him. And the Colin, and the Colin's he's I mean he's you know he stabbed done in the knee in the ankle and yeah but he's still not, he's not 100 percent. No, he should be uh, like on his last leg since the, the yeah. prisoners had him you know yeah, torn. yeah. I'm not quite dead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> come back here. This is what you say. <laughs> So yeah, so I was just wondering. I'm like, why are they hiding now? Maybe Surreal should contact Quinn and say, you know, 
it's okay. Come okay. out and come out, come out yeah. wherever you are. <laughs> and then we can debate on you know because you're not going to give Quinn over to well, the cooperative. Uh, yes, Somehow I mean, that, that might be why she contacts him in the first place because she yeah. is, she and Talbot have resigned to the fact that all H E double L is going to break loose because they can't they're not going to turn anyone over and they know that yeah. there's nothing they can do about about it and the cooperative is just going to try to take them so Savril yes. may tell Quinn this. Yeah. You know, they're not going to voluntarily turn them over, but that the cooperative wants them. Yeah. And See, and, and at that point, it can come out that Quinn isn't from this universe. Yes. You know, during that, that conversation. A, that would be a very dramatic reveal, and it would be really cool. Because uh, we – do we have we established what Quinn was like in the alternate universe? Because that might be an interesting – No. Things. Cause well, you, I mean, Reese said a little bit about him because Reese is so crazy, and, and you, you know, he's he's – He's, you know, a smuggler and a thief, and and he said Quinn brought out the good qualities in him. So obviously Quinn must have been a good influence on him. Right, but I, but I don't know what that means. In the universe, it, it, it might be fun to make a backstory that he was powerful and that when yeah. Quinn, Quinn Quinn becomes a great bargaining chip in this whole thing. Oh, well, yeah, that's that was that was our intention from day one was Quinn was going to be the bargaining chip. Nice, uh, but we know that that that. Alternate universe Quinn is super powerful because that's why they wanted him, and that's why they punched into our universe to steal this Quinn. Yeah. What if he but, was? What if he oh, was right. David Locke's brother? Oh, wow! Kill David Locke killed the other Quinn. To, I like that. Um, love it. I love it. Throne. <laughs> that would that would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah, and, they, and you know, and the. Our, the regular universe Quinn may not be as powerful as the other Quinn because he just doesn't – he hasn't tapped into that part of his right. power yet. You know, So maybe he's not as powerful as the other Quinn. But he was brought over, right, because their Quinn was dead. Yes, their That's Quinn right. was dead. Well, and they wanted him. Maybe, they, maybe David Locke turned um, Mirror Quinn out on that suicide mission against the Borg with Savril's husband. And the, he, he was assimilated by the collective, or he was going to, but he killed himself or something before that happened. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know the, the, the Borg want Quinn to bring cohesiveness mm -hmm. to the Borg and the cooperative. Because they want to try to reintegrate, well, I assume they want to try to reintegrate every, all the Borgs together. Come the Borg. Together, Borg. Right. Yeah, the Borg. Oh, Borg. Yeah. Quinn. <laughs> The Borgity Borg. I mean, and, <laughs> yes, and I mean the cooperative want him just for the fact that they're trying to genetically enhance yes. themselves. Yes. So that would benefit them, and then obviously it would be important to have him in the Empire because he's such a powerful telepath, mm -hmm. or the Alliance. Both of them would want him for that reason. So right now he is a pawn from all with all four groups of people. Now tell everybody uh, once again. Um, I know this, but not everyone might. Um, mm -hmm. Or not everyone may know this. Um, Quinn is half Betazoid and half Elorian. Elorian. Yes. That race is extinct. In that, in, in the mirror universe, it is. Yes. Yes. Ooh. So yeah. that's why so, the the cooperative maybe after Quinn is. Yeah. Yeah. You're, that's true. Not. Yeah. Besides his telepathic ability, but his long life because mm -hmm. he got that from his mother's side. Which would um, enhance their species. Well, Arya oh, has Arya has some of that. Um, yeah, she's a Lorian also. She's she's the daughter of Eric James, who is half Nacine and half Ilarian. Yes. So she may just be trying to strengthen strengthen that 
Jean. Yeah, yeah, because she's only a quarter of it. Mm-hmm. So, but she's also part Vulcan. Yes. Correct. Yes. So they have long life too. Yeah. Not as long as Elorians Elor- can live, you know, thousands of years, but Vulcans are only hundreds. Yes. But still, so um, yeah, so that's basically what's happening with Quinn. Right. Um, and obviously we discussed future stuff, which is kind of cool because none of that's planned out yet. So it's great because we didn't plan this stuff out. That it's changing from what I initially saw it as. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I thought he would be hidden on the ship and we have to hide him and people would be trying to find him. But obviously there's no need to hide him now with the Emperor dead. Did you always intend to kill David? I knew that I wanted her to that exact of- revenge in the end, but I didn't. wasn't sure how I was going to do it. Okay. So – so that and was cool because I, 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 I didn't know that. Against, I didn't want to go against who she was because I still don't think she's. I mean, I think that she's like, you know, pretty vengeful, but she's not mm-hmm. evil, so, and she's never killed anyone or been violent so far. She didn't punch him or knock him out. She just gripped the pressure point, you know, and yeah, yeah, and pinch, you know. <laughs> and then with the Colin, she didn't do any. Well, she did kick him. <laughs> <laughs> but he yeah, deserved but Colin, it. Yes, I mean, Colin did not. Yeah, yeah she, he was innocent. She didn't finish him off. She let the prisoners do it. So that was why, you know, I didn't want her to kill him. I wanted her to yeah. let someone else. And because she's kind of a manipulative person, she, you know, has people. But she's also being manipulative. She's yeah. had to be, though. So. Yeah, to survive. Yeah. yeah. He has other people do that for her. Yeah. <laughs> like the Borg. <laughs> Here's the president. His name is David Locke, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, but so he's not gone either because he's been Borgified, so yeah. he could show up again. Oh, that'd be something. As a Borg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah. Cool. Now, on on Hawkeye Med's post at the end. Oh, by the way, I just want to shout out and say if there's any way that I could could offend any of uh, any other culture or. Um, <laughs> Continent. Oh, Rick! Just they were joking. I, I I, and I and I actually have been really enjoying the uh, the comebacks um, <laughs> about that. With I, fe- I, yeah, feathers and meds. And what what have we all learned? Put smiley faces after um, yes. after sarcastic <laughs> remarks, everyone. Anyway, seriously though, that was so funny. I just my I just went. <laughs> it was great. So and, and you're talking about that, the fact that we said cheerio, right? Cheerio. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And then I thought to myself, well, let's see, how can I offend uh, Texans? <laughs> Texans? Oh, you did that to me. <laughs> Last week, you, you guys did that to me when we weren't recording. Right. Yes, when we were that's recording, right, that's right. I'm like, man, y'all. too bad I didn't kept, capture that. That was funny. Because I said y'all, and you guys were like, y'all? Y'all? Oh? <laughs> you know, so we went into our southern drawl. I that can't figure fun. out how to slam. I'm trying to figure out. Rico doesn't really have any particular. Um, he's Michigan. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, he's, not he like Mich- he's almost Canadian, isn't he? I mean, he's almost Canadian. And we do have our Canadian. <laughs> almost well. Canadian. Okay. We do. Okay. You're right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's where we got Billy Bob and uh, Bob Jedi and Jeff. And... Jedi, Jedi Jeff. That's right. Yeah. And Iceman, There's... I think, is also from Iceman's Canada. Canadian as well. Yes, that's right. That's right. Like that's good right. Yeah. So we have quite a few up there. So yeah, so we'll have to start saying A more. A? A? No way, eh? A, y'all. <laughs> hey, y'all. Cheerio. <laughs> Alright, who's got the jingle bells going on in the background? What's up with that? Is that my wife? That must be your 
place because it's not ours. Is that you, Amy? I, oh, I, she's making salad dressing. I thought she was ringing jingle bells. <laughs> I was like, is it Christmas? <laughs> here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus right to the ready room. Sorry. <laughs> Ooh, there you go. See? A little preview. <laughs> um, all right, so um, what else is happening in that universe? What's going on with uh, the Klingons and the Alliance? The Klingons and the Alliance. Last time trying... on Klingons and Alliance. <laughs> in, let's see, the Alliance, I don't know, that that hasn't been posted. Just well, X. no, I, I take well, it back, X. Just X. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, they had a discussion. The cooperative um, is now trying to... Uh, woo the the alliance into partnering with them i guess yes so and apparently the klingons you know they're taking a typically klingon stance (laughs) they (laughs) they don't bow to anyone yeah and hopefully that sticks because the the empire could really use their help about now (laughs) (laughs) so uh so yeah so we covered quinn we covered Severo and talbot and we covered uh, the Colin and Dunn, mm-hmm. and we also covered uh, Arya. The Klingon, yeah, Arya, the Klingons, and the Empire. Mm-hmm. I think that covers everything. Yep. So yeah, so yeah, like I said, it was a kind of a short week, uh, mm-hmm. post-wise or light week for posts, but uh, some really good stuff. The story is still continuing to move forward, which is nice. It's not becoming stagnant. Um, hopefully, we will. Move the story along a little bit. We'll get Quinn out into the open, meet with Savril and and Talbot, and um, we'll go from there. And then we'll see if this alliance between the Klingons or the alliance and the Empire actually hold true. Good. So good, yeah, because they, I mean they're going to be fighting both the Cooperative and, and the, the Borg, Borg, but separately. Yeah. And did not, you notice the Borg and the Cooperative are not going to get together? Did you notice the, the the Alliance and the Cooperative both have weapons of mass destruction? <laughs> I, I think mm. the Cooperative have the Omega, the Omega bomb from from the um, Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. <laughs> omega thirteen. They have Omega thirteen. It's not Omega thirteen, uh. but it's Omega. And I'm wondering if Chris did that on purpose. <laughs> that's very funny. Because that's just like him to do that. Yeah. <laughs> use Omega That's right. Maybe somebody should use the Corbinite maneuver. <laughs> oh, I'm sure someone would. Do that. Yeah, I'm surprised that's not in there yet. That's so funny. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so I think that is going to do it for the story so far. We are the Borg. Resistance is futile. Plug into your alcove as we communicate our final thoughts. And now for our final knot. Uh. <laughs> That's right, we're all Boy Scouts and we've been practicing all night. Now for our final knots. Uh, what did you do? <laughs> I've got the torture knot. Oh, too funny. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. All right, I'll show that. Go now. Get lock me sock. Can you go, 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 yeah. And now for our final thoughts, y'all. <laughs> that was great. <sighs> All right. Well, um, first I want to say happy birthday to Rick. Because yeah. today, is, today is actually his birthday. And he's taking right. time out of this busy day to 
to do the red room with us because he knows yeah. how much everyone enjoys it. And I'm sure he enjoys it too. So I do yeah, enjoy doing the ready room with you folks. We thank you and happy happy birthday. Thank I'd you sing happy much. birthday to you, but it's copyrighted, so I oh, all right. can't okay. say it. So. It is. Sorry. It's copyrighted. That's why if you go to a restaurant, most of the times they don't sing happy birthday. That's right, because they have to pay royalties. They'll sing uh, like an alternative, you know, happy happy we birthday, happy birthday to you, happy He's happy birthday. On. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> What do they do on the next generation? Uh, or something like that. Oh, that's know. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that I gotta see if I can find that. Anyway, thanks. But uh, I did have something to say about, on, on our final thoughts. And, oh, uh, good. I have, to, I have a confession to make. Uh-oh. And, I, and I want to apologize to all of the listeners in Ready Room Land and to Jen and to Kenny uh, for calling the story confusing because it, it really – the story itself is not confusing. It's – okay, I'll just be honest. It's it's me not reading it closely that's confusing. And um, I guess I just need to say that is that um, you know if I have a novel and I'm carrying it around with me, I can crack it open and go chronologically through things. But I'm so tempted on the internet to jump around through the story because you can. And uh, I guess you could do that with a book too, but it's just not as tempting in a book to do that for me as it is on the internet. So I just guess I need to apologize for not reading closer. If I read it and I'm and I and I do it without being distracted, I'm pretty much caught up with everything. So the story isn't that confusing if you read it. So my <laughs> confession. There you go. Well, actually, I didn't have a problem with that at all. I would just like to know ahead of time when people are confused, so that we can. I mean, that's why we do the commentary at the end of the ready room yeah. we want to make yeah. sure that it's not confusing because it can be it's it's not like a novel in that there are like seven or eight writers writing this when typically there are no more than than two co-authors you know writing a novel yeah. and it can be confusing because there's a lot of scenes so yeah. if that ever happens to anybody they can always post questions in the out of character section or um comments and compliments or you can yep. email us at the ready room podcast at gmail.com and ask yeah, questions so that the writers know if they need to make something more clear or if they need to um explain things you know or point yes. you out i can always point to a reply topic where where that particular bit of information that you're confused about was addressed because sometimes that, you can forget. That is very helpful, by the way. So, yeah, helpful. just let us know right away. Okay, so what yes. you're saying, then, what I hear you saying is that if we're getting confused, don't get confused about asking you why we're confused. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm confused. No, because, you know what, because majority of the time, you're not the only one confused. Right, okay. Yeah. So if something's not really not written properly or clear enough, then we need to know so we can clarify it to make it a better read. Well, do me a favor and just make sure I concentrate when I read, okay? Okay, we'll do that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So um, I guess that – is that it? That was our public service announcement. <laughs> final thought. Are you so, yeah, so, so am I. <laughs> Would you like to not be confused? For only nineteen ninety-five. I'm sorry. Uh, once again, I guess in final thoughts, just want to apologize to all our folks across the pond, uh, and I, I just, I hope I didn't, um, hope I didn't offend you. So cheerio and um, <laughs> and um, blimey. Tim, Tim, and Meds are both teaching me their slang. Yeah. Because Med, Meds is really Tim, Tim. 
I can understand most of the time, but Med's really he has a thicker accent and a thicker you know Well that and quite honestly, Meds, you have such a great comic wit about you that you'll you'll <laughs> say things just straight out or write things and I'm I'm just sitting there going, Now I know that's funny, but I don't understand <laughs> why. <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, I mean, like, you can even describe your breakfast meds, and, and I start to laugh because it's not every day you hear people talk about the English fry-ups, you know, and stuff Fry-ups, like that. that's yeah. what it is. That's right, the English fry-up. Like, you know, I in my uh, in college, I took a lot of anthropology, and they some of my teachers said that it won't, it's not too um, inconceivable to think that in the near future, the English that the British people speak and the English that the Americans speak will become two different languages altogether because of the num the amount of slang. But that was again when the internet wasn't as prominent, and I think that's narrowing that you know, you know the speech uh, differences because we're mm-hmm. learning these well, things and talking. But yeah, well I, I ain't gonna dig that, <laughs> y'all. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> How many other people can we? Yeah, okay. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry, All right. we don't have any French people. <laughs> <laughs> Walter moved from France and now he is in the United States. <laughs> what a bummer. Sorry. With a what? Bummer. That's a bummer in French language. Oh, a bummer. Okay. Bummer. <laughs> Are there any French people that listen to The Ready Room? If you do, please email us at thereadyroompodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Or for you, that would be thereadyroompodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> do French Canadians uh, count? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe well, this I is a good that... time to end. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I think we need to finish the show. Okay, all right, sorry. <laughs> all right, so this is Kenny. And this is Jen. And this is Rick. Hailing frequencies closed. All music on this podcast was performed by Rick Moyer or his royalty-free music. Also, I would like to thank Metron 07 for the introduction music. I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to The Ready Room, please listen to the Anomaly Podcast, where female and fandom converge.